And uh, we will say right up front, because uh, we'd been teasing it there for, for a couple weeks, that uh, it's just you and me today. Yes. Uh, we thought uh, Claire, Claire yeah, yeah, we thought Claire Hannah was going to be here. I'm not sure what the subject would have had to have been, what the story would have had to have been for Claire to go, nah, not feeling Orlando in February. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, As someone who was just down in Fort Lauderdale for All-Star at the end of January, Matt, um, it's it's a hard one to, to say to no pass to. up. The playground, but it just became a wrestling ring. Let's get ready to rumble. You saw me chuck that tire well away. It's a great throw. Thank you. Oh my gosh! I you know what? One of these interviews, I am gonna get nailed in the face. This is Talk in Audio. <laughs> Away we go on an all new episode of Talk and Audio. Make sure you're following along on social media at Talk and Audio. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now. She's finally made it. Claire <laughs> Hanna is here, uh, back from from well, close to the happiest place on earth, but covering some of the least happy people on earth at the time. Uh, from Orlando, Claire Hanna back in Canada just in time for a blizzard. Welcome to the TCA studio. You haven't come alone. We can hear in the background there. You've you brought a friend. <laughs> yeah, I did. How's it going? It's good. You went into the archives for that <laughs> intro. Wow. I think that was some of my stuff with dinner television in Edmonton yep. in like 2016. So uh, kudos to you for doing some really deep research. Did a little digging, did a little show prep and uh, and found some stuff there. And yeah, just, uh, I don't know, some gold, I thought. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, that was like a totally different. Anyways, that was a different show not very much sports there very light tv very light tv i see uh, no mickey mouse ears when no. you walked in and more concerningly uh no souvenirs brought for me but uh, oh my gosh i'm sorry nah. do i even ha- i don't even think i got a tan we were working <laughs> know, so hard exactly. i barely had time Never to get had, in the sun didn't have time to get to disney world at all while you were down there no, no. and uh, like i've been bugged by a lot of people including when i went i went on jay onright's show that night and he's mm-hmm. like what the heck? You didn't go to the happiest place on earth? And I'm like, we have been working so hard. I don't know what it's like in your line of work, you anchors. But yeah, we didn't have time. I got I got a little walk around um, a lake that was near our hotel. And I called it, this is awful, Ebola Lake. Oh because it, But it looks like that, but it's Eola Lake. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. But me and my camera guy were just joking around. We're like, it's Ebola Lake. But anyways, I only had time for a brief walk and that was it. Well, why don't we kick things off? I'm glad you're here back. It, it is a small, small world, but uh, glad you're here in our small, small studio. Make, made a little time for it's us. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Got the so. soundproofing and everything. This is this is a great studio. We had, uh, yeah, we, we just chip away at it over the years. It started with one USB microphone in the middle of the table. So um, you are setting out uh, when we're done here to Toronto. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to take part in the traditional full pint. But, no. you, but you are going to sample something with me here. Okay. What are we sampling? We are sampling from the Beyond the Pale Brewing Company. I was over there on the weekend. Um, hadn't been in probably since the summer. They have a very nice kind of patio balcony setup. But uh, in the winter, it's not ideal, obviously. But the beer is still very good. So this is called Prague by Night. Okay. It's a dark lager. It's supposed to be kind of in a Czech style, but with a little darkness poured to it. It's a 4.9%. So... You're just going to have a little bit of it here while we chat because uh, like you got a long drive ahead. Ooh, we it's high IPA. That. What, 70, 80 IBUs? Uh, I can't remember, actually. I didn't even bring the can in here. It's okay. That's my prediction. Like my and we'll look show. at the cans after and see how close it was. Glad you're here. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. Any podcast that serves beer, I will be on it. Okay? Let that be known out there, podcasters. <laughs> And we'll do this again when you don't have a four-hour drive ahead. Yeah, I know. And, and just so people know, my I, I'm basically taking a shot. 
That's right. how big. Yeah, the no, it's is. Uh, there's almost nothing there. It yeah. was just so just a little sample. All right. What do you think? It was great. Yeah. I like it. First pull. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Fun fact, Matt. Mm. I don't think this has ever come up in any interview I've ever done. But one of my first jobs when I was trying to break into the industry was I was the manager of communications for Alberta Beer Festivals. Really? Yes. So I definitely did a lot of sampling then. And we we ran two major festivals, the Calgary International Beer Fest and the Edmonton International Beer Fest. But um, we'd have because there's a lot of microbreweries in Alberta. Mm-hmm. They had these laws that basically allowed for people to open up and kind of piggyback off bigger breweries. But um, so many breweries, so we'd have them set up stations and you could sample. It was like a wild party, <laughs> but a lot of beer was, I don't want to say consumed, but sampled. Okay, sampled. I like that. That's <laughs> yeah. what we do here. This is episode 1072 of of TCA. We've sampled a lot of beer. Here, yeah. Right? <laughs> Um, we actually did a thing last summer, you know, kind of a 1000th episode spectacular and, uh, congrats, that's big kind of tagged it a thousand pods and a thousand pints. And someone kind of halfway through that episode stopped and went, you guys seriously expect us to believe there's only been a thousand pints and like, actually, yeah, no, most, a lot of these end up being two beer shows. Right. And and, then it happens, but, uh. It's it's kind of a cool way to to break the ice, talk to people, and support local while you're doing it. Absolutely, right? so, so I love like it. That. Yeah, check check check. Where do we? Uh, where do you come from in terms of your love of of craft beer? Where where do you come by that? And when do you stumble into that world? Um, well, I think it was. I, I don't know. We had in my family. My dad enjoyed good beers. Okay. So we're talking grasshopper. Oh yeah, that's like a nice those, beer. Yeah, yeah those yep. types of beers. And um and not not a lot, but just you know, we'd have some beer around the house. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where it began. And I will say I really like beer. Like lots of I, I don't wanna ever gender stereotype <laughs> things. Um, because I know a lot of women who like beer, but I will say it was when I started with that Alberta beer festival right. that I got into like the nerdy beer. And oh, here's here's a good one, Matt. Mm-hmm. I played professional volleyball in Belgium. Wow. Do you know how good the beer the is beer, in Belgium? Yeah, yeah. Holy moly. Holy bananas. <laughs> and you know what was messed up? Um, every single gym that we competed in, and we were a professional volleyball team in Belgium. Every gym had a bar attached. So you could obviously go and watch volleyball right from the, the bar that had the glass or it would actually be in the gym. So you don't, you know, go grab your beer and then come watch volleyball. Mm-hmm. But it was almost part of our practice regime. And I don't even understand how we did this. Every practice or every game afterwards, we'd go with our teammates and have a beer at the bar. And I'm like, I am a pro athlete. Like, how are you guys? How are we doing this? How do I keep up? And we're talking, oh, just such great beers. Leffa. Do you know that beer? Nope. Okay. Or Delirium. Uh, maybe. <laughs> one called Creek. Okay. One called Castile Rouge. Ca- Creek's actually a type of beer, but Castile Rouge. And then my favorite of all time, Tlipa Carmelite. I'm probably butchering that name, but it was like this champagne beer. It was so good. But no there's a fun, here's a here's a good, I'm, we're talking a lot about beer yep, here. That, but, well, that's what we do. <laughs> so there's one beer in Belgium that's consistently been ranked the best beer in the world. It's from a place called West Vletteren. And these monks brew it, but they only produce 70,000 cases or something a year. Okay. It's not very much. So if you're from Belgium and you want to get a case of this beer, you bring your ID 
and they check it off a list of like every every resident of Belgium and they say, okay, this person's gotten their case this year, but you can't get another one. Wow. But then in North America, when they ship to some special beer stores in North America, like there's lineups starting at 7 a.m. for the day they get this West Vletteran stuff in. So if you can get your hands on one of those, mm-hmm. that is, that is a- uh, Have you I, tried since no, you've been back? Have I, you, no? I never okay. got to try any no. and I wanted to so bad. Okay. Even in Belgium, it's so rare. So, and I should have, <laughs> I, I didn't have a Belgian driver's license, you know, Canadian right. passport. Sure. And um, I wish I'd gone to that brewery. That's that's a big regret I have from living yeah. in Belgium. But I drank a lot of beer that year. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, a lot. Well, I want to get into your athletic background. I want to get into your broadcast background. But uh, before we do, I just want to let the good listener know, if you want to go back an episode, that'll be uh, 1071. Arden Welling was on the show. We were talking little Blue Jays, spring trainings up and running down in Dunedin. And uh, lots of insight from him on what the Blue Jays are going to look like this year, how that's all going to play out. So feel free to go back and check that out. Uh, and if you want to go back last week, uh, a couple more great episodes up on the podcast. AJ Jackiebeck was here. Um, we are talking all about the CFL free agency and a little bit about what you were covering down in Orlando there with uh, Canada Soccer. AJ got pretty fired up with his disapproval of, <laughs> of Soccer Canada at this point. So lots of great stuff up on the network right now. Hit up tallcanaudio.com or uh, wherever you're hearing us right now on your podcast app. You just scroll back a bit. There's all kinds of good stuff and there will be more to come. I will say the last thing here before we dive into a uh, little bit of Claire's history. Uh, we are supposed to have tomorrow... Angela Thompson from the Lake of Bays Brewery on here as uh, as our visitor Hank is is having a good time in the background <laughs> so, of the studio. Hank is a dog, by the way, yeah. for anybody who's wondering what that is. He's sniffing things out. He's, He's checking out the world lot. around him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know at this point as we sit here right now recording whether Angela's going to make it or not. They're calling for a wicked storm. We're just going to wait it out, see how things look tomorrow morning as to whether or not it makes sense to, to be on the roads or not. So... Um, if Angela isn't here, we'll push that back a week. Um, but, uh, that was fun. Claire, I was on with, uh, Graham Creech on TSN radio there a couple oh, weeks Creech ago. Creech is one of my faves. He's such a good guy. Yeah. And, uh, and so he had me on and, and we were talking about the Leafs. We were talking about MMA. We were talking about a couple things and he asked me just to talk a little bit the, uh, the podcast and, uh, turns out Angela from the Lake of Bays Brewery, she's a sales rep up here, was listening, she sent me a message like, we should probably get together. We should talk on your show about our brewery. I'll bring you some samples. We'll try some of the seasonals coming up this year. And I was like, yes, that's something we should definitely do. So um, we're looking to do that tomorrow. If the weather allows, that will still happen. If not, we'll push it back a week. So uh, stick around for all that. But just wanted to let everybody know there is a possibility that will be uh, that'll be pushed. Why don't we talk a little bit your background and, and where you come from? You were uh, Western Canada, born and raised. And uh, how, how do you find yourself... In Ottawa, what's the path you take? You've, you've been a, a high-performance athlete. You're now a broadcaster. How'd you get from uh, from BC to Ottawa? Okay, I'm going to try to do this in 30 seconds or less, okay? <laughs> uh, played volleyball at University of British Columbia, then moved to Winnipeg to represent Team Canada. Um, that's where our training center was. Then I played professional volleyball in Belgium. When I came back and decided I wanted to pursue broadcasting, I moved back in at home in, in Calgary. Got my first job, though, in Lloyd Minster, which is a border town of Alberta and Saskatchewan. Second job was with City Television, hosting a television show in Edmonton. Got laid off. Did a little stint on a Hollywood film um, featuring Ooh. Helen Hunt. Yeah. Wow. In, um, in Vancouver. Um, and then got back into broadcasting with Global Saskatoon, where I was a sports reporter. Mm-hmm. And then CTV Regina as a sports reporter. And then here, um, Ottawa. 
So that was, I think I did it. 30 you, seconds yeah, less. Covered it. No one has ever done it as quick as, as you just did. When you, uh, <laughs> well, it's just, I'm not sure what people care about. There's so many places I've lived. Yeah. So every, I've lived in every major city in Western Canada, except for Victoria. Is that on the list at some point? You hope to get back there? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Victoria is amazing. Oh my gosh. Vancouver oh, it's gorgeous. Island, Tofino, but, but not a lot out there for sports to cover, I yeah, guess, in Victoria. I know. I feel like that's maybe where you go when you're 65. Right. Okay. Yeah. Flew out there um, once to, to visit a couple friends who were spending a year out there for school or whatever it was. And I'm not a great flyer. Like I'm not a terrified flyer, but like I don't sleep is basically the thing, right? Like I, I'm just sort of very aware of everything happening. On the plane? Me. Yeah. Like every little bump? Yeah. Every time they bring back the, or the pretzels, yeah. everything. Right. And I, I actually, at one point, we hit a little uh, a little bit of like very standard, very normal turbulence. And did I you kinda, barf? No, no. I did not barf. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but like I kind of grabbed the both armrests and put like a foot forward, right? Like, oh, I'm alert. And my buddy just kind of looked at me and he's like, yeah, you shifting your weight was going to save us from whatever you thought was happening there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or whatever. So we fly into Vancouver and then you take this tiny little puddle jumper across to, yeah, to Victoria. Guy. Yeah. Everything's totally fine. On the flight back from Victoria to Vancouver, I've never been shaken up so much in my entire life. It was the worst. And I guess part of it's because you don't get up that high, right? You're just crossing the... The channel. Yeah. Yeah, and the Georgia it, Strait. It just shook and shook and we were bouncing all over the place and we had like 90 minutes till this next flight to Toronto and I was just like, I can't do it. Did you barf then? I did not. I still didn't barf. Did you go get a beer? I can. Uh, so that's where the story was <laughs> so going. <laughs> uh, I can say that in all my nervous flights over the years, I've never barfed, but I've been pretty scared a few yeah. times. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we go to this bar in between because he's like, I don't know what you think your other plan is if you're not getting on this flight to Toronto, but I'm getting on this flight to Toronto. <laughs> so we go to this bar and I said to the woman, because I guess I was just white and she's looking at me like, are you all right? And I'm like, I would like two double rum and Cokes to start. She's like, I'm not allowed to do that. I'll bring you one, <laughs> but I'll keep a close sir. eye on you. Yeah. For the, to bring you the second one. So did that twice. Uh, so two and then ended up being four double rum and cokes in the 90 minutes we had or whatever. And I got on and I pretty much passed out in the seat until takeoff and it couldn't have been in any more smooth. Like, I don't know that I've ever been on a more smooth flight in my life. No, no, than no. That you one. don't know if it was smooth or not. It might've just been That's the true. double rum and cokes. Yeah. Pro- keeping me calm. Everything was fine. <laughs> yeah. How do we get here? Oh, Va- uh, Victoria. I don't know, but Matt, you know what you need to get on? You need to get on a seaplane, like a one that lands on the ocean no, and takes off. I absolutely off. do not no, need no, to No, because think on. about it this way. Okay. A runway. Yeah. It's a little strip of, of cement that the plane has to hit. <laughs> ocean? You screw up? Oh, well, let's just go in on that wave. Oh, there's a wave over there. You you know, it's like the whole thing is a runway. The lake our cottage is on it used to have, I don't know where these people were from or if they knew people on the lake, but all the time we used to see this little plane come in and it would land on the water. And, and did it there. ever crash? No, never. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the solution right there. That's I don't the know why they don't just clear. have runways it's just, just it didn't made out of crash. water. That's a good flight. Yeah. Uh, flew into Copenhagen once and that runway is one of those ones that's like you're looking out the window and it's just water, 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 water three feet of land and then runway like you look like you're coming right down in the water because you can't tell you know looking at the water how far up you actually might still be but i remember thinking when we go to take off from here to go home like if that plane doesn't take off you're just in the drink and yeah don't screw it up pilot no no. and they didn't so 
I don't know. I'm just not a good flyer. I don't know. <laughs> I did snap an armrest off a seat once in a little plane down oh, in Florida. Whoa. Yeah, I was sitting there so tense, gripping onto it, and it just bang, broke off. And it's not good. No, not no, good. Not good. Not good. Um, tell me a little bit about your your volleyball career because um, most of the people we have in here are much closer to what I do, whereas just sit and critique other people playing sports. You've actually done it. You've actually gone and played sports, uh, have a leg to stand on when you're talking to these high performance athletes. Uh, Where does your, your background in, in volleyball come from? And, and, you know, is it, is it a bigger deal over in Belgium when you get there? And you you said you played professionally. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, as you know, Matt, I'm tall. Yeah. I'm six feet. So I'm, I'm like kind of a natural volleyball player. Sure. But when I got to the team Canada UBC level, I was actually, I'd say one of the shorter people on my team. That's wild. So I know I actually (laughs) played with somebody on team Canada. Her name was Emily Toon. She Mm -hmm. was six foot seven. (laughs) Yeah. It was nuts. (laughs) Anyway. And she was, yeah. And like, but um, I got into it in high school, loved sports. I played every sport, too. Right. I never really specialized in volleyball until I'd say grade 11. So when I was about 16, 17. But I played, I actually played badminton at a super high level. I was like ranked top eight oh, in wow. Canada. Okay. Yep. Um, swimming, soccer, you name it. But volleyball really became my passion because I think I loved the component of having teammates. Yeah. Okay. okay? Like solo sports like badminton, sometimes you're just on an island mm-hmm. when you're playing and you know, you don't really have a coach. And so when you have teammates and you're screwing up, or even when you're playing really well, you can elevate the team or the team can elevate you. Sure. So I really love that component. And just honestly, having my best friends on my team, um, UBC, I really had to talk my way onto the team. And I wanted to go there because it was a great combination of academics and also a great program. UBC, honestly, in the past 30, 35 years, I don't think they've missed going to a national championship more than three times. Wow. And like, they don't win every time. Sure. But the fact that you're going to the tournament. Kind of like Carlton here in basketball. right? Around here. Honestly, yeah. great comparison. Yeah. Great comparison. So um, I wanted to go there, but the coach wasn't really that high on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was so stubborn. I was sending him like VHS tapes at the time when nice. he put stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I just remember really wearing him down. But um, I actually, I got there and he made me a red shirt, but when I was in my second year, he cut me. Ooh. Yeah. And it was so heartbreaking. It was, I didn't really like, I, it was the first time my identity was really shaken up because mm. I didn't know who I was without volleyball. And in that year, it was really funny. I actually, I went and joined the JV team, which was like a, just a kind of a club team, but I decided to switch positions. When I'd gone to UBC, I was kind of going as a middle blocker power hitter, Okay, but I quickly noticed, like I mentioned, that I wasn't tall enough. And honestly, I don't have a very good vertical. I don't jump like like right. a grasshopper. Some girls just spring out of the roof. You know, you're just like, how are you doing? Just they jump so easily and so high. So I changed to a defensive position called libero. And so that's a little further back in the, is it not? You don't even jump. You just play defense. It's okay. literally like going from a forward in hockey to a goalie. Oh wow! Okay, it's like a, yeah. it's a, it's it's not that dramatic, but still, you, it's a strictly defensive position. Exactly, yeah. no attacking, nothing, just passing and defending the ball. Okay, and I found a lot of success there, and so that's when I really my my volleyball career changed, and I started accelerating and started getting ID'd for Team Canada, that type of thing. So UBC really just that flexibility of finding a way onto the court, meaning I had to switch positions. 
yeah, that was that was really where things changed for me. So, and I honestly, I owe so much to volleyball. I've met some amazing friends. I got to travel the world. Um, it's been it was a blessing. So, you know, it sounds like obviously it was a struggle to get going. Oh yeah, but you end up making the national team. Like, when does that happen? How long are you there? How do you end up in Europe? Yeah. Like, t- like take us through this. We got time. Okay. Right? Well, yeah. I remember when I was younger. Um, like, and the internet was kind of the wild, wild west. I'd be Googling players on the national team. And so I always had this thought, oh, like, I'd love to go to the Olympics one day. Mm-hmm. And that and that really started when I was young watching CBC Sports. Yep. Watching players like, or people like um, Alex Depati. Sure. Donovan Bailey. Yeah. Silken Lawman. Yeah, Those were yeah. some players or, or athletes that I just, like, looked up to and adored. Mm-hmm. And um, so then at UBC, honestly, I lost that dream of wanting to represent Team Canada because I was barely even on the team. You know, you, you're like, if I can't even crack the UBC squad, how am I going to represent right, it Canada? It seems a long way away. Yeah it, yeah. it it doesn't even seem like a dream that's worth dreaming at that point. But then when I started at UBC, mm-hmm. um, the first year that I was a starter, we went to the national championships in New Brunswick. And um, at national championships obviously Team Canada's coach is always there IDing players. And so um, at those national championships, I think it was 2008, um, we made it to the final. It was, it was, we had this crazy Cinderella story. Like we were, we were ranked, I think like seventh or maybe sixth going in. We just beat these crazy teams and then we're (laughs) in the final. And um, I had like still to this day, maybe I had the match of not my life, but at that point I had just like an amazing match and I was named player of the game in the final and the national team coach was there watching. Oh, wow. So, and I didn't even know this, you know, you're just so focused on just winning a game. You don't know who's in the crowd. And then after national championships in volleyball are about March. And then when you get back to school, you're really focused just on finals, which dominate April. Team Canada tryouts are in May. And I think mm. it was sometime in April that I got a letter from my coach who was like, hey, like you've been ID to try out for the national team. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I didn't think I'd get, I didn't think, you know, and then the dream comes back. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my gosh, maybe this is. I'm on the radar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the first time I went to the tryout, I made the team. So that was pretty, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. I remember. And the coach at the time, he, his name's Arndt Ludwig. We called him Lupo. He's German. Hmm. Lupo is like wolf in German, okay. but that's his nickname. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. We've, I've never called him Arndt in my life. I've just called him <laughs> Lupo. But um, when, how they do it is they have like a week of tryouts where it's just two a days. So from nine till 12, you have a tryout and then from four till seven you have a tryout for five days and then on the saturday um they individually pulled us into a classroom where they told us if we'd made it or not and i remember just the most nervous i've ever been at the university of manitoba waiting to go into this classroom and i go in and they're like how do you think you did i'm like i don't know and he he was like playing games with me almost i was like "Ah, i haven't made the team you know it felt like you're on the bachelor bachelorette and you're like are you getting the (laughs) The rose or not it's this weird like thing and then he was like yeah you've well, you're going to make the team. And I was like, ah! And I think I did like slaps in the, in the classroom. I'm not even kidding. Like I got up and I cheered. I was so happy. Anyways, and that was the beginning. And so, I so what years. year would that have been? That was in 2009. Okay. Yeah. And you, what happens there? How many, like, where do you go? Is yeah, it a so world then, championships? Is it an Olympics? What happens We were next? relocated. So, um... The 2008 were Olympics were summer games. Yes. This is the year after. Okay. So what? Um, how 
amateur sports or volleyball in this case work are in quadrennials. So this was the quad preparing for the 2012 Olympics. So this is first year, 2009. At the time, I lived mostly in Vancouver, but kind of in Calgary with my parents. You know, like some summers I'd spend in Vancouver, some I'd go back to Calgary. But when you make the team, it's basically like, okay. Well, now you have to live in Winnipeg. And um, we'd been living in residence. And I think they moved us to like a bit of a nicer residence. And uh, that was that was like a, an adventure in itself, moving to Winnipeg because I didn't – it was far from home. Sure. I'd only lived in other places in Western Canada at that point, like Edmonton for maybe a summer playing provincial volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had some family friends there and it, it was really rigorous training. And – I I tell some of my friends who are athletes whether they're I don't know how much we train and they can't believe it. We would train same as tryouts. Every day of the week we'd train from 9 till noon and 4 to 7. Wow. Except for Sundays we had off and Wednesdays we only did the morning session from 9 till 12, but we practiced also on Saturdays. So 6 of the 7 days of the week we had practice. And uh, yeah, and and Things like nutritional meetings would be on top of that. So sometimes we'd practice from 9 till 12 and then after we'd have a um, an hour-long meeting with our sports nutritionist or another day you'd meet with your sports psychologist. Um, the morning sessions were usually – half of that was um, – weight training so we'd be in the gym doing like weights squats whatever Mm -hmm. and then the other half was technical training so for my position a lot of passing a lot of defense and then the afternoon you go home you go like honestly stuff your face with food because you'd be (laughs) so hungry after the weight session like love chocolate milk you know lots of healthy stuff try to sneak in a nap and then be back at the gym for four to seven and then that was mostly team play right and then get home at like seven twenty, seven thirty, try to eat as much as you could, and then go to bed and do it all over again. And I, it sounds like torture, but it was awesome. After all that training, it, there's obviously a qualifying process through the quadrennial. There's mm-hmm. you know getting out of your region. I'm sure there's world championships. Yeah. Uh, what does your quadrennial look like at that point? Where do you end up? Yeah. Uh, so every year there's something called the Pan Am Cup. Right. Um, and it typically happened in Mexico uh, because. Our region in the world was called Norseca, North America, Central Caribbean. So our big competitors were the United States. um, Who else? Like we'd compete a lot with Brazil, Argentina, Dominican Republic, really good team. Cuba. um, Those were our major, uh, like the toughest teams that we'd play. Competition, yeah. Yeah, you'd always have the Pan Am Cup Mm -hmm. and then the Norseca competition so the pan am cup was sorry all of um north and south america right and then the pan am cup or sorry the norseca's i'm getting confused was <laughs> north america central caribbean mm-hmm. and to get to the olympics honestly it all just came down to an olympic qualifier you could like these pan am cups every year were gauges of how we were doing there were benchmarks of like you know where we were against some teams in the world but it all just came down to one tournament the olympic qualifier right and um and then there was the world championships. And I've got some sad stories here because I went to the Pan Am Cup. I went to Norseca's. And then the year of the Olympics, um, sometimes rosters took 14 players. Sometimes they took 12. And the year Uh-oh. of the Olympics, I know you can kind of know where this is going. Before the qualifier, uh, my coach told me that I wasn't going to be on that that roster that was going to the qualifier. So had we made it to the Olympics, I wasn't going to get to go. And wow. that was really heartbreaking. Yeah. 
because you're just like you it's this weird internal battle you want your team to crush it and do so well but then there's this horror of oh my gosh they're gonna get to go to the olympics without me yeah and that's a really weird mindset to be in um and i remember the two weeks when they're at the qualifiers it was myself another teammate named Marie pierre marie metho she's from uh quebec we were like Obviously. two of the players who were left back yeah okay. and we just kind of like yeah i'm not gonna say sucked we just kind of were depressed on a couch like that's it we were just so sad well what am i supposed to feel right now yeah. right I, i'm cheering for my team but my future is tied to this yeah. in both a positive and negative. Have you read um, Sammy Joe Small's book? No, it's on my list. I think it's called for our listeners here the the part I played. Yeah, I the, uh, yeah, yeah. Or the role I played, maybe. But uh, either way, I'll put the link in the show notes if people want to check it out. But that's sort of her story, right? As a backup goalie, sometimes someone else is in your spot, and and you're not the starter. You're doing all the same work. You've done everything as much. You've committed every bit that everybody else has. And then you kind of go and maybe you don't play and maybe you don't go at all, right? Mm-hmm. If someone else kind of that year has bumped you out, it's, it's a fascinating read. We've, we've read a million different athlete books on, you know, people who dominate and the, the top of their sport, whatever. It was fascinating to hear her perspective. And that's just sort of what this made me think of, right? Like yeah. the times where you I really want to read that now. Yeah. This, the, these times that you're cheering for your team, but the person in your spot, you're kind of not. Like it's, it's I, yeah, and it's yeah. so weird because you're pushing each other as of course, teammates. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't say you're never not no, cheering no. for them, but you're like, it's and honestly, that's where the sports psych comes in and is so important because it at the end of the day, it's all about you getting right. better and what can you do to be stronger in the gym to just be a little more perfect on your passes mm-hmm. or you know. And, and sometimes, honestly, it's out of your control because the coach has made up their decision. And that's really tough. And I'm not going to call it politics because if you flip on the coach's hat and you have to choose a starter, you don't want people to be in a role or in a mental funk where they're not sure what their role is. Right. And if you designate a starter and you designate a backup in this case, honestly, it's just easy moving forward. Yeah. It sucks for the backup, but yeah. that's just like... I, at least I know what my job is yeah. going through this. And yeah. I so I, I don't ever fault coaches for doing that it's just it's better people need to know their roles because when roles are murky you see some weird stuff happen on teams and it breaks down because people need to know what their job is to do and if i'm the backup great then i'm going to do everything i can to push the starter but also just like hey um did you see this hitting angle from this you know shayla on brazil Mm -hmm. okay she's going to be hitting down the line this you know you got to help out too got to be a good teammate teammate. Yeah. yeah yeah so how do you go from there to playing professionally in in belgium well most players, you play pro in the other half of the season. So national teams compete from about May till September. Okay. And then professional teams are October-ish until March, April. Hmm. So it takes you a full year. There's a full year cycle. There's no really no off season. So it's a grind. Um, and in one of my years, so I think my first two years, gosh, it's a long time. I was playing UBC at the same time as I was playing Team Canada. And a couple of my teammates at UBC also played Team Canada. So we would go straight from our national team back to university. Right. And then just compete with our university, which was really strong. We were, you know, that first year that we won nationals, we went on to win six in a row. Hmm. Wow. I was only there for three. Yeah. But at, you know what I mean? It's a good program. It, yeah. It's not like we were going back to a, somewhere that we weren't going to continue improving. Sure. Um, but then there was one year where my coach was like, okay, there's this team in Germany that's kind of interested in you, but I want you to stay 
throughout the winter in Winnipeg and train. And so what they did was called a full-time training center where I think there was seven or eight of us and we just trained all winter and it was kind of crazy. We did one trip down to Costa Rica to play Team Costa Rica. Um, And then the next year I played in Belgium and most people go get contracts. Like one of my best friends, she was the captain of the team. By the end of her career, I think she'd played in eight different countries. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she'd played in Finland, Germany, Austria, Spain, um, Italy, uh, Azerbaijan. Wow. And and so for listeners who aren't super familiar for vo- with volleyball, volleyball is massive everywhere in the world outside of, I don't want to say it's not big in North America because Team USA, the women won gold at the last Olympics. The men won bronze, I think in 2016. But you can make major, major money in right. volleyball. Yeah. In Europe, in Brazil, in Asia. Those are the three. And, and Russia has a crazy good league. I mean, right now it's a little bit yeah, like, uh, yeah, maybe. people people are yeah. not going there right now. Right. Same thing as Brittany Griner. Yes, of course. Um, but really strong leagues. I'd say the strongest well, league in the world might be Italy. There's a lot of it that for some reason we just don't buy into in North America, like handball. Is it like yeah, people so people over here have no <laughs> idea what it is. They're drawing 6,000 people a, a match for handball in Europe, right? Like, so it is wild the things that we just you know, culturally do differently or, or whatever. Yeah. So, and I hate when I'll like, I'll tweet stuff out about, you know, how much we make as amateur athletes for Canada. Mm-hmm. And people are always like, oh, well, how many people show up to your games? And I honestly, like, I can show you arenas yeah. just full Jam-packed. of people. Yeah, yeah. I remember in Peru, I didn't get to go on this trip. It was, um, I think it was, I can't remember the tournament, but um, Team Canada was playing in Peru and it was the stadium of 35,000 people and it was packed and after the game the fans started storming the court oh no <laughs> and our coach apparently was like okay everybody get in the bus and they were trying to get into the bus before they got swarmed so <laughs> it even happens like Peru's not that close but like even Mexico we'd get a lot of fans there to mm-hmm. games and I'm, I'm not talking like 60,000 but I think there'd be like a solid 15,000 right. people like it's it's selling it's an it's, NHL game yeah, I guess that game. is. You're that's right. like, <laughs> that's a good crowd. Yeah, but the one in Peru, oh, I, I have photos. It's wild. And again, I wasn't there, but right. my teammates told me about it. They said it was wild. <laughs> so how do you get to, to Belgium? Oh, how do sorry. You get to- <laughs> oh, sorry. I had an agent. I had an agent. Okay, okay. Who, yeah, sorry. Yeah, who got me a contract there. Right. Um, oh my gosh, I sorry. I thought I kind of explained that. My bad. Well, just um, how, yeah, you, you explained I, when you well, were there, but like and, seasonally, but. Yeah, so yeah. what happened actually when we didn't qualify for the Olympics in 2012 for London? Mm-hmm. I remember I wasn't on that team, but then the team didn't qualify. Right. Um, I, at that time, was still trying to get to the Olympics somehow because I felt that the value of being at the Olympics would be important to know if I ever made it as an athlete, Mm -hmm. what kind of distractions to expect. So um, I got on with the Canadian Olympic Committee volunteering in London. Oh, nice. And they were like, okay, give us some of your background. And at that time, I had been volunteering for the radio station and the newspaper at UBC. I wrote a weekly article about the athlete of the week in the UBC paper, and I did some contributions just to the radio station, CITR. maybe you had stormed into one of them, (laughs) unhappy with some of their coverage. Oh my gosh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know that story. I've done a little research, like I said. Anyways, and uh, what what Matt's getting at, do you want me to flush that one out? Sure, yeah, yeah. After we won our first national championship with UBC in 2008, um... I remember going back to UBC and being really excited to look at the student newspaper because I figured we'd be on the front page. It was our first national championship in 30 years. Um, And I remember seeing the newspaper and it was some like 
insignificant game that I think the basketball team had won and they were on the cover and I'm like what <laughs> what the heck where are we and I I had to flip through and then on page like nine in a yeah. tiny corner was a little photo of us in our national championship like you know t- trophy and just everything. been crowned best in Canada and I'm like flipping what through, flipping, flipping. so frustrating and I remember showing it to my teammates and we were all we were all so pissed off because to me, this was a really perfect example of like women's sports not getting the type of media coverage mm-hmm. they deserve. And I wrote an, a letter to the UBC. That's the name of the UBC student paper is the UBC. And um, they published the the letter and then they said, well, why don't you start doing some – if you want to contribute yeah. for sure. And so I was like, well, let's do an athlete of the week and we'll have a woman and a male. Right. And that, that wasn't necessarily – I don't know if it was totally my idea. Like it was a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. But I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so that was kind of the beginning um and um back to back to okay so right. now back to london <laughs> right when the olympic committee asked for my resume i had some of this just minor broadcasting on there and they looked at it and they said well why don't you come to london and you can interview all of our canadian athletes after they medal at canada house and i thought um this is the best job ever <laughs> yes i will do this and my first interview she wasn't competing but she was involved in the support staff was katrina Le- katrina lemaidon no way yeah and i thought okay this is crazy yeah. and then i interviewed people like i mean christine sinclair and the soccer team yeah um the women's rowing team um um oh what's oh my gosh i cannot believe rosie mcclellan McLennan? Yeah, yeah yep. McLennan, the yep. trampolinist. Yep. Um, and and athletes that also competed but maybe didn't win. So there was a boxer named Mary Spencer. Mm-hmm. She was doing – she had won the world championship. She had a great year but had kind of fizzled out towards the Olympics. And she was just having – I don't know if it was mental health stuff, but she just wasn't in the right place and frame of mind to compete. But we still interviewed her and she talked about things. It was – It was a really amazing experience just getting to be at the Olympics, but also having all these interactions with athletes um, and talk to them. So I had a a sweet volunteer gig in London. And then my agent knew I was over there and was like, okay, well, why don't you just take a train to Belgium after this team wants to check you out? So I went there and then signed a contract a couple of days later. How many, what does that look like? How many games in a season in Belgium? What's the lifestyle look like? What's that experience all about? We played... Um, every Wednesday and Saturday, I believe, um, trained, um, I'd say almost every day of the week, except for, I think we had Mondays off, maybe Sundays and Mondays off. Honestly, my team was so awesome. It was kind of, it was just chill enough that when sometimes we had a bye week, my coach normally in professional teams over there, you train throughout your bye week, but our coach had a family and he's like, you guys can have it off. (laughs) So on bye weeks, I would go visit friends, like girlfriends who were playing pro in Germany. Sure. Or one time, one of my teammates and I went to Morocco. Or like, you know, you really wow. explored. It was so cool. But it was um, one thing that struck me at the beginning that was tough is the Belgian. So I played with an American, a Romanian, um, a Polish um, teammate and then the rest were Belgian okay. and, and then one more Canadian sorry one of the my teammates on Team Canada also played with us in Belgium right and it was called Barbar XL um, we were in Brussels and XL is a neighborhood in Brussels that we played in so that was our name and Barbar was a beer that sponsored our team nice. so our team was Barbar XL's beer neighborhood sweet yeah and um, uh, where was I going with this we 
what was really tough is the foreigners, we were all paid. But the Belgian girls on the team, some of them weren't paid. And it was like they were just they wanted to play and wanted to make contracts, but this was sort of like their jumping off yeah, point. Yeah, if to you want to make it, another come do this. Yeah, to getting a contract or something. Right. And so, where there was an interesting balance is that when we'd lose, like we would be the ones to blame because we're the ones getting paid. Right. Right. We're the ones like we are the ones that have to score the goals, and it's no different than. You know, the senators where, for example, you're paid the big bucks, you're on the top line. Well, like the score Blame's going to fall mostly on you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, but that was the first time I'd experienced that. And so that was a tough adjustment at the beginning. But, um, you know, you just kind of, it, you gave me a thicker skin. Sure. Helped me, you know, not helped me, but taught me how to perform under pressure and not try to think about that kind of stuff. But just also sort of like... Just take it from your coach sometimes, you know, you get yelled at and that's, that's again, part of sport. And I don't hate that sometimes teams don't keep score or there's this really fine line now between younger kids who like can't get yelled at by their coaches. And I I don't know how to talk about that because I think that coaches need to tune into what an athlete needs individually. And I don't mind being yelled at. Okay. You can do that to like, if I'm sucking, tell me, Mm -hmm. like I need to get my ass in gear, but then. Some Not everybody people, can take that. Some people need to be coddled, right? It's the kick in the butt versus the pat on the back. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so sometimes it's like, and you need to be given confidence, but I think you also need to be challenged. So that was that year. I just learned a lot about that. And we had some great wins. We had some disappointing losses. You know, it was like any other team. And then, yeah, that was, yeah. So you mentioned while you were over there, you are able to travel to, to see friends in Germany or, or Morocco. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you, what you were paid, but is it a living wage? Are they covering your uh, living expenses? Like, what is it? Like? I don't. I don't mind talking about okay, this. Yeah. Okay. So, also for Team Canada, um, my first year, you get carded. Yeah. So, in my first year with Team Canada, I got nine hundred dollars a month. Okay. But it was for four months because it's only the summer. Right. So I got a check for thirty six hundred dollars. Right. My apartment was covered, but only up to like $400, I think. But we never paid that. Like somebody, a manager with Team Canada arranged our housing for okay. us, okay? Yep. So I paid for gas to drive to and from practice and my food. Mm-hmm. Travel expenses were covered. Okay. As you progress on Team Canada from a D card, which is developmental, and get to C or A cards, mm-hmm. you get um, $1,500. Right. I think- yeah, a month. Yeah. And again, sometimes it's just for four months. Sure. Sometimes they can extend it a little bit for some players because they're like, oh, you're a valuable player. We're going to top up your carding. Sometimes they split it between two players. I don't think yeah. they can split it. Or, oh. Sorry, they can split up a yeah. yearly card. Yes. yes. Like they would split, for example, because I got four months my first year. They would have split one card up three ways. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so that's how it worked with Team Canada. And then with my pro team... It was very similar. I didn't pay for my housing. We were given a car for my apartment. Like um, I had three teammates in the same apartment. We all had our own rooms and stuff like that. Um, But we didn't pay for our car and then travel to and from tournaments. Like we had one tournament in France. We didn't pay for that. Right. Um, And then we were paid in euros Mm -hmm. and most of us got 1,500 euros a month. Okay. Now I'm trying to do the translation in my head. I don't even remember what the And I will say that was my first year playing pro. And that was a very normal first year pro contract. But as you kept going, and I only played one year pro. Right. I know a lot of my teammates 
like one of my teammates, she played in China for, she played there for four months and she got a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. But, but like she would have been, and I'm not even saying top of the line. That was just, yeah, you know, but I think a lot of players were getting like 60 to 70, um, thousand euros a year. And, and if you really get up there, you can be making millions. Wow. And I know the guys, it's always like yeah, the guys versus the women, but <laughs> I know some of my guy friends who are playing in Russia were for sure making like 1.2. Yeah. So <laughs> it's lucrative over there. And and I don't even know what the, I, I wish I could find out what the top players in the world were making in Italy because I'm sure, I know it's good. It's, it's like some of the guys said that they wanted to make sure financially after they finished their pro volleyball careers, which for men can extend to... 40, 42, 43 right. years old, that they wouldn't have to work again. It's just wild, eh? Because when we think of volleyball over here, you would never even imagine that there's a, you could make a living, let alone a very good living, right? Playing volleyball. It's just, it's one of those things that you look around the world and, and different countries put different value on different sports, right? Yeah. And, and this is what they find entertaining or more important to their cultures yeah, no. it's it's wild and i'm i you mean like based on what i'm sure making, if you're sitting in like italy making savings but i'm like i just got to live in belgium and play the sport i love sure. on a really high level I, and like you know you're get you're getting paid to do it yeah. but but if i'd kept at it maybe or been honestly more talented <laughs> it would have been more lucrative <laughs> sure but it, it's if people are sitting in belgium or italy going i cannot believe there are people in north america making eight million dollars to play ice hockey like it's just yeah it's, it's just a different perspective, right? Oh, so, yeah. so when you come home from Belgium, that's where you start to get into the broadcasting thing. Yeah. Uh, how does that, how does your first broadcasting job, obviously that stems from uh, getting a little experience in London and at London 2012. Yep. Uh, take us, you know, have, had you always wanted to get into broadcasting, sports broadcasting? Was it a, I'm open to doing writing or radio or TV, or was there something specific you had in mind? How does it go from there? Well, I had always had the interest because even before my little rant at UBC, like <laughs> where I was just ticked off about us getting undercovered as mm-hmm. a women's volleyball team, I had still been doing some, for example, color commentating with the volleyball game. So the women would play and then right away afterwards, the men would play. And sometimes I'd like just hustle up still to the broadcast. uniform, you know, moving over there, yeah. Yeah, literally <laughs> hustle up and do the color um, for the men's games. And like, I think I did a bit of... I didn't do soccer commentary, but I do a little bit of like stats. So I, I started doing that. But this is a cute story. I haven't thought about this for a while. In London at the 2012 games, there's lots of broadcasters there. Right. And somebody I met was Jay Onright. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I told him I was interested in get into getting into broadcasting. And I wouldn't – he just was really good in terms of guidance. And he said there's somebody in Calgary – that would be really helpful to you. Her name's Lisa Bowes. And Lisa was one of the first. Oh, that name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's one of, one Center, of the first female sports anchors. Sports desk, I guess. Yeah, yeah. at Sports Center, at yeah. Sports Desk uh, with TSN. Yep. And um, after her career there, and, and if you read, it's funny, I just finished James Duthie's book, okay. uh, Man on the Left, or The Guy on the Left. Yeah, it's a good book too, yeah. He talks about how I think he was applying for a job there and they hired Lisa Bowes. And like they passed him over, but then he ended up getting hired months later. Right. Um, but Lisa was really, you know, early on at TSN and Jay Onright pulled cable for her. But Lisa 
has done so much for women in this industry and she just has a good perspective and she keeps with it too. So I got in touch with Lisa in Calgary and she just, she became a mentor Hmm. and gave me really good advice. But, um, Jay also gave me the advice of when you, when I got, when I finished with team Canada, he said, why don't you go volunteer for Shaw TV in Calgary? And I was just trying to get my foot in the door, but I, I had been accepted at SATE um, which is the broadcast journalism program at the University of State in Calgary. It's the okay. one that Kyle Bukasis went to. Right. Okay. I wish we could have talked about this. Um, but that year, what I did is I just like volunteered the crap out of Shaw TV at the advice of Jay Onright. So yeah. I went in there and I think they had a couple sort of programs where they said, okay, here's how you can get to know what broadcasting's about for free you could go and volunteer and i pitched them a story about the rio olympics this is 2013 and i said well why don't i interview athletes who are preparing for the rio or sorry pardon me for the sochi 2014 2014 winter olympics because i being fresh off of an athlete life i knew a lot of these athletes Mm -hmm. and they're like yeah sure so they would give me a camera guy that I'd book ahead. I'd go do these shoots at Canada Olympic Park. Like so many Winter Olympic athletes are in Calgary. Yep. So I put this story together or like I think it was a mini series of eight episodes and I put these together and they aired them. But getting that experience was like going to journalism school. Hmm. It was like I I learned how to edit. I learned how to do interviews properly. I watched the camera people, you know, get the shots. Um figured out how to piece together the story I wanted to do. And then in turn, sometimes there'd be gigs they'd be they need an extra reporter for. Sure. Like the Max Midget hockey tournament. They're like, hey, we need a a ringside reporter. Do you want to do that? And I'm like, yes. Like I said yes to everything. Sure, come in, yeah. Yes. The whole year, everything. I, I was like not getting paid for any of this. I was living in my grandparents' basement in Calgary, <laughs> just doing as much volunteer work as I could. And eventually through all of that volunteer work, I got enough for a demo tape. And um, after almost exactly a year of volunteering um, at Shaw TV, I applied for a job in Lloydminster. And also, so here's another thing that I did. This is so extra. <laughs> I got to know a lot of the um, the news directors in Alberta okay. at small stations and I would email them and I had this, I might even still have it on my phone. I had a reminder every Wednesday at noon to email them to just see if there was jobs available. <laughs> and so I would email and be like, hey, it's Claire Hanna again. Here's some new like material that I've done or if you're hiring, you know, and like half the time they wouldn't respond. Right. But Stacy Comer in Lloyd Minster, <laughs> I was very persistent with her and I probably sent her like a dozen emails. <laughs> and then that summer of 2014, she emailed me and she's like, hey, Claire, we have a sports reporter job wow, opening up. All right. Would you like to apply? And so I applied and I got the job. Nice. But I think that's really important in this industry because you want to show that you're not going to pass up the story. Like we're chasing stories in this industry yep. and show your persistence, show you're not going to give up. And so eventually, yeah, it really paid off. And you're off and running at yeah, that point. Yeah, then, yeah. The job in Lloydminster was yep. honestly kind of kind of like moving out to Winnipeg for the first time. Right. You know, I got a little U-Haul, brought all my stuff out there, <laughs> had like a really crappy little apartment <laughs> that was a couple blocks from the station and got to cover everything from, oh man, soccer to volleyball to midget triple-A hockey to double-A hockey to senior men's hockey to like like I covered everything I did a rowing story to (laughs) cross-country skiing and and 
it's a panic mat. You are. I remember I would come in on the weekends, really small crew. And what people don't know is small town TV stations are basically run by 20 year olds. Okay, yeah. like like everything you see on air, the directors were all like in everybody our 20s. getting their start. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I would grab my camera in the morning. I would go to like four shoots. Okay, like I'd hit up a bit of the women's girls or the girls hockey game. I'd hit up some of the boys hockey game. I'd get a bit of the soccer game, and then go back to the station, furiously cut it all, <laughs> put it together, like write my yeah. scripts, um, <laughs> and then quickly put on my makeup and then go run in the anchor chair and and anchor it all (laughs) like that's literally how it worked every weekend it was panic the first couple weekends because i'm like it's 559 the show's on at six my segment's at 612 and i don't have any makeup on and i've like (laughs) just sent it in you know it was wild Uh, you get yourself uh is your first gig if do i have this correct that you know in one of canada's top leagues it's it's with the cfl um, or, oh, you mean in terms of my like, first gig with TSN? Yes. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was with CTV Regina. When I took that job, I it was not guaranteed or anything that I would get to do any TSN sideline games. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody was like, oh, are you getting, is, you know, are you going to get a chance to do the sidelines? I'm like, I have no idea. I didn't take this job for that. I just took this job because- Were was, you a CFL fan? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Like the CFL. Right. And um, so I just- took it and put my head down and worked really hard and i think i took the job it's actually almost five years ago to the to the like exact date that i took the job and um just worked really hard i think i had the briar the first week and then there was the memorial cup and i didn't even ask if i would get to do the sidelines and then one day i just got an email and i was on the schedule no way yeah so it was weird and i don't (laughs) i don't know if i advise that because i think it's important to be persistent but i also think it's important to not lose track of what your job is in the moment and do the best you can at that job. Mm-hmm. And if you get other opportunities because of that, great. Right. But, you know, you can't lose sight of what you're doing day to day. Right. How do you make your way then to to where you are now here in the nation's capital? Well, I, you know, TSN knew who I was and it was the best way to get your foot in the door when you work at ctv regina but you're doing the sidelines for the cfl and a couple times and not just the cfl their the, crown jewel franchise right the, the saskatchewan riders. rough riders that is it's it's church and then the rough riders in saskatchewan like that's what people care about is you've nailed it yeah and sometimes i'm like how did they even trust me <laughs> like i'm a rookie and they gave me the riders but like it's a weird market because there's no NHL team right. there. So they can't – what I do here in Ottawa is I cover the NHL and the CFL, and then there's other events that they'll have me sure. assigned to. But they can't have a bureau reporter in Saskatchewan because it's just the riders. There's no NHL team. Yeah. So they can't afford to put – anyway, so it sort of becomes somebody at CTV, in my case, me. And so um, I, I – you know, they get to know your face there. And I think TSN always knows – you're interested in working for them, you know? I, yeah. I don't know if I ever had to say it, but um, the first time where I knew I was probably being considered for a role was they kind of called me out of the blue in April of 2021. So we're about a year into the pandemic, mm-hmm. and they were um, needing a reporter to go to the Men's World Hockey Championships in Riga, Latvia. Okay. And they said, hey, Claire, like... And that's going to be bubbled most likely, right? It, it like was a bubble. Yeah, yep. so that's an interesting assignment in and of itself. Yeah, it yeah. was about four-week commitment because you had to go in and you can't leave. Yeah, and yeah. You have yeah. to go and quarantine and all this stuff. And um, I had a feeling 
that it was sort of a tryout. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody said that ever. But I thought, okay, this is kind of cool that TSN, TSN is sending me there, but I work for CTV. And I'm like, as long as I don't screw it up, maybe there's going to be an opportunity down the line. And sure enough, and that summer was a big summer for me because I actually went straight from that bubble in Latvia covering the Men's World Hockey Championship to Rimini, Italy. Um, And I was in a bubble there doing play-by-play for volleyball for an international tournament. It's called Volleyball Nations. Like, it's huge. Top teams in the world. And I, so I, w- I went from one bubble to another bubble. So I was in a bubble for like seven weeks. <laughs> it was crazy from like May 12th or something until late, ju- like June 30th. Right. It was, a, it was a long time. But, um, and then when I got back to Canada, I had about two to three weeks of some CFL games. And then I was doing play by play for CBC for the Olympics. Right. So that's the Tokyo 2021. Well, I was. Yeah, supposed and to be I was 2020 doing, ended up being 2021. Exactly, yeah. and that was beach volleyball. So okay. that summer was just like yeah. I was given her. There was a, <laughs> I was doing a lot of work, and um, it was amazing for self growth and challenging myself. Like some of these moments, I was scared. Right, I'm like, oh my gosh, of don't course. screw it up, don't screw it up. But then after the Olympics, I they kind of were like, hey, heads up, would you be interested in this job in Ottawa? And I, yeah, so it was, it was like kind of a slow burn. It sounds like one of those things where this approach that you have of just say yes to everything like it's entirely possible and i don't know you'd obviously know better than me but some of like some of their more senior reporters said no i don't really want to go bubble in latvia yep. to do the world high and so they looked at that as an opportunity to to reach out to somebody they had an eye on anyway and said you go do it. And of course yeah. you, you just step up and go, yeah, I'll do that. And it o- opens all kinds of doors at that point. Right. Like, and for me in my life, it made sense at the time yeah. because, and I think somebody, for example, um, that had done in the past Tessa Bonhomme, but at that yeah. time she just had a baby. Right. And so like, it's not, it, you know, it's just circumstances. I think the timing was just so perfect. And all of those sorts of people who may have done it in the past, like a Mark Masters or a Ryan Rashog or whatever, we're in an uncertain time still who maybe those people have families and don't want to leave for that long when you add in the quarantine ahead of time and yeah. things like that. Like, Well, and Rashog would have just been, I think he was in the bubble in Edmonton. Right, yeah. Right? Like there was, yeah. there was a lot of things going on or also even just the fear of COVID. This was before, oh man, like I got my vaccination, my first vaccination three days before leaving for Latvia, <laughs> but it was just because they opened up my age group. Like right. I got so lucky because I thought to myself, chance, yeah. yeah, and I was like, I don't know if I want to go without getting vaccinated. Right. And I, cause I think some people on the trip might not have been because of living in Ontario. Yeah, almost they didn't certainly. get that chance. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I did in Saskatchewan. Anyways, there were so many factors. Yeah. And it just, you, you got to be there and ready when that door opens to, to push through it. So mm-hmm. Did you know much about Ottawa when you got here or? Yeah, I'd been twice before. Okay. So I came with my parents when I was in elementary school. We went to question period, skated the canal. I want to say it was like 1996 or seven. Sure. Yeah. And so it was great. Loved that. That was a long time ago. And then I came to watch the Olympic curling trials in 2017 and I came with some friends and honestly we got like just rambunctious in the crowd <laughs> and and we had like went for dinner afterwards right. also went to question period so yeah i'd been to ottawa a few times and yeah. i just adored it i think i think it's such a good city it's love the outdoor space i love yeah i love what the city offers yeah um what's it been like covering the senators now obviously it was a rough year for the red blacks uh their first season obviously the Sens last year 
got off to a rough start and it kind of tanked their season. This year they got off to another rough start and it looked like it was going to tank their season. Now they've sort of worked their way maybe back into it. Um, Ooh, you're you're an optimist. I'm a Leaf fan. I could care less if they miss by a mile. But uh, <laughs> you know what? It, it It would be hard right now to say there's no chance that they make it, right? It's unlikely, but it's still theoretically yeah. possible. What's it been like kind of settling in at a time when both franchises are at kind of a, I don't know, trying to turn the corner, right? Well, I think it's exciting because you're you're part of a new group. You're kind of with them in terms of being a rookie. I'm like, oh, here's these young players yeah. who are learning to win. Right. They're going through growing pains and they're, you know, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to be then hopefully make make uh, better decisions mm-hmm. as you go on, more better decisions rather than mistakes, you know, like that sure. that ratio is going to improve. And so I feel sort of like them too. When I was in my rookie year, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to screw up so much. <laughs> but I'm like, hopefully I do some good stuff and hopefully I do more good stuff than bad stuff at the end of the day. But um, it's exciting because I think there's a lot of promise mm-hmm. and potential. And that's the, to me, the coolest time to be with the team is when they're on the upswing, right? And I truly do believe they're on the upswing because look at the talent. They can only get better. They can't get worse. That's true. I'll give <laughs> and you that. I don't even think they're that bad, you know, and I don't. Do There's I been injuries gonna... again, right? Yeah, like they've had gosh. a tough go of it, right? That's like, the worst. Yeah. The injuries. It's so hard to evaluate what you really have right. because you don't even have your full lineup last year and this year. So that's been, that's been really crappy. And I feel for Pierre Dorian because right. it's like, you don't want to make these dramatic changes when you've got guys who are coming back. You cannot, you don't have, you know, the... The ball to look at. What's that called? What am I thinking of? The crystal ball. Right. Okay. You don't have a crystal ball. You can't tell what the future has with your injuries. No. And I can remember like coming out of last off season, but I have to bite my tongue a bit or not really, but like everybody who listens to this show knows I'm not a Sens fan. Right. But I did watch last summer and went, it's hmm, interesting, right? To bring it and you got out from under Matt Murray. Unfortunately, you punted him down the highway to me, but uh, you know, Claude Giroux signs. Yeah. We'll see what Jake Sanderson's going to look like. There was definitely reason for optimism, but I still looked at it and went, you missed the playoffs by 30 points. Yeah. That's a huge gap to make up. And, and the optimism to me was maybe, and maybe if it was my team, I'd have been right there with them, but it seemed a little out of whack with how far there was to go. Now, I wouldn't have predicted that obviously Josh Norris was going to get hurt again. And, you know, we've they've had different guys miss serious time over the, the course of the season. But it just felt like there's a long way to go here yet, right? And and so I, I, I'm i not shocked that they are where they are right now. I still believe, like you said, that they're in kind of a group with Buffalo, with Detroit, that are coming, right? They're going to be good in the pretty near future, but maybe haven't quite arrived yet. And so that's been fascinating that's to watch. an accurate assess- yeah. Yeah. assessment, for sure. Um, one of the things I, I, I'm curious about, and we had, uh, I don't know, it's been a few months now, but Patricia Bull was in here not too long ago. And for people who aren't familiar with her, she was, uh, well, she was on The Score, right? She did a bunch yeah. of sports reporting before now becoming uh, the anchor for the CTV local news here in Ottawa. And I asked her just about the role of, of women in that industry and what they're going through right now. What I'm seeing, and this is why I want to bring this up with you, is because I, I know you're going to be able to correct me, is people seem to be responding to you in a very positive way. What I see online, there's a lot of complimentary 
work or a lot of compliments about your work. A lot of people seem very positive about the job you're doing covering the senators and things like that. But I have no doubt in my mind that on Twitter or on whatever, you still hear some bullshit. What is the, what is the ratio like at this point? Has it been worse than you expected in Ottawa, better than you expected in Ottawa? You know, are, are you dealing with some things that, that we're not seeing? What's it like right now in your role at, at this point covering sports as a woman? Honestly, I feel grateful because I don't get a lot of crap. Okay. And I'm being, I'm like, I don't know. It's sometimes I'll get a diss on my like hair or something, <laughs> but it's not, I'm like, okay, to me, that doesn't matter. Sure. And you can't, you shouldn't read the comments, but, <laughs> no. but I, no, I feel anything. really grateful. And yeah. The comments that bother me aren't actually about me. It's, for example, when I was covering the women's soccer, mm-hmm. gender equity, um, like the battle that they're going through. It's the comments on stories like that. Okay. Like, oh, well, don't, you know, don't, don't fight it. You don't like, why should you get equal revenue if you don't have as many fans in the stands? It's those sorts of things. That's not an attack on me. Right. It's on women's sports. Okay. On the women athletes. To me, it's not... For me, I feel lucky. I don't get very much hate. So, and, and I don't look for it either. No, of course not. But, but no, so I, I actually, I feel like it's, I don't know. I'm, I've, I don't know if I'm doing something differently. I don't think I am. I think It's possible maybe, you're just doing it better? No, I think that, I think that, I hope society is just changing and that realizing that anybody well, can talk now about who's sports. the optimist? I, <laughs> you know? I just, no, I think that like. I think we're getting we're there. Doing a good job. But those people are absolutely still out there. And that's what I meant when I said you're just doing it better. That maybe your work is just speaking for itself. And so you're not giving anybody any ammo to now off. Oftentimes on Twitter, those trolls will show up whether you're doing a good job or not. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting to me that, you know, oftentimes, you know, you follow a, a woman doing this job and you jump into the replies and you're just like, Oh my God. Right. Like has nothing to do with the report that they've just filed or the thing that they're covering. It's just people being complete shitheads. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it hasn't. Yeah. I don't, honestly, I don't think I have that many followers either compared okay. to some people out there. I think Aaron Andrews would probably, you know, get a Maybe whole Maybe have a bunch. different yeah, perspective. I, I feel like I'm small potatoes. So, Well, you kind of came along at this, maybe a little bit after, but not like, Cheryl Pounder is the other one right now who is getting nothing but glowing reviews on well, the I work know, she's doing. I think doing. she just got a Canadian Screen Award nomination. I, I saw that earlier analyst. today. Yeah. So, and, woo, Cheryl. And yeah, yeah, she's girl. been on the show before as well. And I think it's coming back up here in a couple of weeks. But she's, again, like one of those people that almost universally is being praised for, and rightfully so, she's yeah, doing she an rocks. awesome job. Um, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we're we're just moving in the right direction, right? Maybe yeah, the trolls are being are shouted down. Uh, people are listening to what... The content is rather yeah. than who is saying it. I think that's the shift we're seeing. And yeah. that's where I want to just keep going in that direction. Why don't we talk a little bit about what you were down in Orlando to cover last week, which was, man, what a mess. And and we've seen this for a while now with Canada soccer, um, both with uh, how they've treated the, the women's program over the years. And then last year in preparation for the men's world cup, there was a, I don't know if you want to call it a strike or whatever at that point, And it was talking about stupid things like, uniforms while the board members were all getting new suits and and weird things like that. And then it all blows up again under uh, uh, just before the She Believes Cup last week in Orlando. And the Canadian women's team say they've had enough of dealing with this and they're going to go on strike. And my understanding at that point is that Soccer Canada said, we will sue the living shit out of you if you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Which of course, the women are not prepared to fight that lawsuit because they're not being paid enough to begin with to fight that lawsuit. 
if there's anything I've kind of miscategorized there, maybe take us through it. But what was the mood like down there amongst the team? And, and where does this thing stand now? Mm-hmm. I think you nailed it. And I just want to clarify, I think what the re- women are really demanding is they've had their funding cut okay. in a World Cup year. It's not. Uh, and After winning an Olympic gold medal. <clears throat> yeah. And after the men just got all this funding given to them. Okay. And so it's like, okay, here's the money to succeed to the men. And then all of a sudden it's a new year and where why are the funding being cut where was the misuse of funding right like that's where the women are really like like at one point they couldn't even have a proper 11 on 11 practice training session because they didn't have enough bodies because they didn't get the money to bring enough bodies in to bring them in wow so it's things like these are it's not revenue sharing you know it's like basics or um the way that they're getting to travel you know and and canada soccer i believe promised equity in terms of how the men and women team would travel and so how come the women aren't getting the same things but the mood was really i mean they had lost to the united states which Mm -hmm. is a bitter rival and they've only beaten the united states once in the past 20 years and that was in the olympics uh last year in the semifinal sorry not last year in 2021 good time to do it yeah amazing time (laughs) to do it right so but um i will say they were really defeated because they didn't want to play that game they played it in protest. Right. They, they, I think they're ticked off. They're especially ticked off because this is a year for a lot of them. I'm curious how long, for example, Christine Sinclair is going to play. Is this their last time to try to do something amazing at the World Cup? And to now have to take your focus away from training, yeah. away from team chemistry, away from getting better and putting yourself in the best position to succeed at that World Cup. Now they're fighting for their basic funding. And it's just such a such a screw you yeah. to the team when they have to just take so much energy away from what they should be funneling their energy into. Mm-hmm. So they're ticked off and they're exhausted. And we saw um, at times, you know, training with the, the uniform inside out. We saw, I think, is it purple mm-hmm. uh, shirts? With enough and, is enough written on it. Which is like the, I guess the purple is supposed to signify the struggle for gender equality if i'm yeah. categorizing yeah, that correct. correctly and and the the americans uh some of them wore purple wristbands as well in support yeah. of the canadian women so it was a fascinating dynamic but you're right like this is this is a world cup year for yeah. the women and coming off an olympic gold medal and instead of just being focused on how are we going to beat the americans how are we going to beat whoever how are we going to survive our own organization mm-hmm. which is just such a mess i i can't imagine and christine sinclair like you said in all likelihood whether she plays past this world cup or not is one thing Whether she makes it to another one four years away this is not the thing you want to be focusing on if you're someone like her and her teammates right wanting to give her the best possible opportunity you to should, succeed you should only be focused on the opponent right you shouldn't have to be focused on just getting the the bare minimum of what was promised to you so when you came home what was your expectation of, of what was next? Obviously, this is not water under the bridge and we all just carry on. There are hurt feelings here. There are legitimate legal concerns here. There are pay equity issues here. What happens next? Well, I think um, Rick Westhead is really doing amazing reporting yes. on this. And I think um, this is now going to be heard at the Canadian Heritage Committee. And so they're going to be looking into interviewing players and members of Canada soccer for where this funding has gone. I think that's the next step. It's it's in the courts. Right. Okay. So I and the the women can't really talk very much about it because I think so much is in the courts that, you know, 
They've they've just got to let that deal itself out. And that's what needs to happen, though. They need to be talking, right? This needs to stay front of mind, front burner. Yeah. The World Cup's less than six months away. Right. And they've got one more game left at the She Believes Cup, and then they've got some maybe games in April, and then it's the World Cup. Like they have the the clock none at home, right? That's one of their issues yeah. is that we're not going to host any games and no, no. allow the the Canadian fans to send them off and support them before the world cup. Like yeah. this is a huge thing. And, and I guess to their credit, the men's team have said, you know, we're with them, right? They're in, they appear to be approaching this arm in arm. Have they not? Yep. The, yeah. The, yeah. But the men's team essentially, I think they might be striking right now too, but okay. there's no competition. Right. So it's like, it's not hurting them. It's not, it's like they can be like, yeah, we're on strike from Canada soccer. Out, exactly. Yeah. But there's not, no competitions that they're at. They're all playing on their pro teams. Right. Last thing for you then, as we circle back around to the hockey world, we are uh, just over a week away now from the NHL trade deadline. <laughs> uh, did you cover that last year? Is that your beat this year? Will you be kind of stuck outside Pierre Dorian's door yeah. waiting to hear uh, what may or may not happen? March 3rd. Yeah. And I, I know it's called Trade Center, but I bring a lot of snacks because you never know how long you're there. And <laughs> yes. I call it my own snack center. So okay. I've actually started deciding what's going to be on that charcuterie board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I am getting ready. And I mean, he already he made that move dealing Tyler Mott to yep. the New York Rangers for Julian uh, Gauthier. And so I, I'm curious what else happens because I think he'll want to make some more moves. But I don't expect any like crazy big no. moves because he's not. It's not like he's going to give away his blue chip players. And he sort of said, "We'll see what happens here over the next week, right? Yeah. Do they, you know, this they got a home and home with Detroit coming up. That's going to be huge. Are are they right in it, or have they sort of fallen back? And and so even as we sit here right now, like he's, a week out, we don't know if they're maybe kind of half selling, maybe kind of half buying. Standing like four back. games in five days. It's wild. That's that." He'll be making his decisions on March 1st yeah. because they only have that one game then against the New York Rangers on the second and then it's boom, bada, bing. Right. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming in. I know you got a long drive ahead of you here tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, it, it would have been fun if we could have done this with, and maybe we will down the road. We could yeah. still have the, the three of you in here or the two of you in here together. But yeah. uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Matt. I want to also, uh, before we get out of here, I should have done this off the top. Maybe I'll go back and in, insert something. But uh, next Wednesday, March 1st, Women's Sports Trivia Night over at the Bicycle Craft Brewing Company. That is our friends Michaela Schreider and Vanessa Sanchez, who host She's Got Game uh, every every weekend on the TSN radio network. They, uh, they're putting on Women's Sports Trivia Night. Sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, tickets are available on the Bicycle Craft Brewing website. It's only five bucks a head. Uh, still trying to talk Claire Hannah into being our, our, our pinch hitter there, our, uh, middle of the order bat. We'll work on her. We'll see what happens there, but, uh, check that out if you're into such things, cause it's going to be a lot of fun and we want to make sure we support, uh, those ladies who've done a fantastic job in putting the event together. Um, anything else, Claire, anything we should cover, anything we should promote, anything else we should do before we get out of here? You covered it all. Okay. Perfect. Hank, thanks for coming in, buddy. Good <laughs> to fun. see you. Good boy. Uh, We'll wind things down here for Claire Hanna. My name is Matt Robinson. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you all next time. I am unhappy with the confusing and at times confrontational nature of that meeting. I wanted it to go better. I wanted it to go better!